Hello, fans, and welcome to this very special episode of the Greatest Games Podcast, episode 100. We made it the century mark, Brian, and tell the listeners why this episode is even more special. Well, it's super special, like you mentioned, episode 100, but Coach George Glimp, he has been an absolute legend in South Carolina basketball, NBA basketball, and he is just the absolute greatest, greatest man and the greatest coach. It, this episode is just going to absolutely blow our listeners away. We can't thank you enough for all the support of the show. Episode 100, we're going to keep it rolling. And just as a reminder to visit teachhoops.com slash 816 basketball, incredible content that Coach Steve Collins has there. And check out our good buddy Billy Kegler on the Competitive Mindset Podcast for more great content as well. But we can't wait for you to listen to this episode with Coach George Glimp, episode 100, and then stick around. Coach Coach de Blasio and I will come back after the episode to tell a couple of quick stories that we didn't get to during this episode. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio, for the hundredth time. It's a hundred episodes? Oh, my God. Thank you so much, Brian. It's a pleasure being here with you, as always, a hundred times. Welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast, a chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest games. As always, it can be their time as a high school coach, a college coach, maybe even an NBA coach, or even if you just happen to have five state titles in your pocket. Maybe five state titles, maybe one AAU national championship. Maybe you were the very first director of player development in the NBA. Who knows? But I tell you what, that is who our guest is today for the 100th episode. Now, we've been talking about this, Chris de Blasio, for a while. Um, looking forward to our 100th episode, a very special episode for us as a podcast. But to have this guest today for our 100th episode, it didn't matter if it was the first episode, 100th episode to have Coach George Glimp as our guest today is a true honor. So, Coach, welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast. Man, I am honored. Like I said before, I am very honored for you guys to have me on this. And of all the roles Coach Glimp had, let's be honest, uh, volunteer assistant JV basketball coach at Ridgeview had to be his best honor, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I had a chance to uh, coach my grandson. That's right. That, that was, I'm sure, yes, very special, right? You got to be a practice in games and see your grandson play. Absolutely. Right. So, right. so for those that, that may not know, yeah, Coach was on staff for, for me as a, as a JV coach at Ridgeview High School years ago. Had the greatest staff in the world with Coach Glimp, Chris de Blasio, Takuma Letzum. It was like it was a it was a robust JV staff to say. <laughs> you were the only great. JV coach ever to have three volunteer coaches somehow. I don't know how. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was the best. And I remember that day, coach, and I know we've talked about it, but you come in and say, hey, do you mind if I help out? You couldn't get that sentence or that question out of your mouth before I said, yes, please, please come on in anytime you want to. Please and come on. Was it was special to me because I had a chance to coach again. You know, I hadn't done it in a couple of years. And then I worked with my grandson. Oh, man, that was heaven. Well, coach, why don't you take a, take us back to the beginning as we always like to do, go back to the beginning and tell us how your coaching career got started and, and kind of take us through some of the stops that you had along the way. Obviously, you had one really long stint that we'll talk about, but just kind of how your coaching career got started and where you where coaching has taken you. Well, you know, uh, as I said, 
Now I could talk a lot, so just cut me off when I'm too long. <laughs> There's no such thing. Please, please go ahead. But I started as a volunteer coach to Coach Ben Trapp from where well, he was at Keeneland. But I worked with him for two years as a volunteer coach. Then the late coach Carl Williams asked me to come work with him at Booker T. Washington. And I was elated because Booker T. Washington was my alma mater. So I went there to work with him. And we had an athletic director who was, he was just like a little dictator. <laughs> and, you know, I don't hold my tongue. So we got into it. I mean, we got into it verbally. And he called me a two by four coach. He said, you little two by four coach, you just coming in here. You don't even know what you're talking about. And he had no hair like I have now. This big WHH when I had hair. But I told him, I said, you two by four bald head dictator, I'll jump on you. And now that's, I, sh I shouldn't say that, but that's what I said. So the next year, they transferred me to Eau Claire. And I met a guy named Les Evans. And I was supposed to go back to Booker in the afternoon and coach. He said, no, you're going to stay here with me. And I became his ninth grade coach. He fired his JV coach during the year. Then I became the JV coach and assisted him on the varsity. And I met with a guy, you probably heard of him. I don't know if you ever saw him, named Nate Davis. Mm -hmm. The highest jumping person I've ever seen inch for inch. That means, so that was a blessing. And then I started at Eau Claire and it was heaven. My first year, I was six to 16 and I was catching the devil. That's not the word I want to use. I want to use the word that rhymed with well, <laughs> but then Trap came over and saw me play one night. He said, asking you need help. He said, I'll be over tomorrow. And he came over and that was, this dynasty side of the Ben Trout came over. And after him, I met with, I've had some great coaches, uh, uh, Coach Lewis Drill, Junior Laurie, uh, Coach Gerald Kelly, and they always just came right in and helped me. And man, we, we started a dynasty over there. And I'm not bragging, but we, we were PDG pretty darn good, you know. And so uh, we won more than we lost. After that, I started on my quest to trying to win a state championship. And it was very, very tough. It was very tough. I came against some great coaches. And you're talking about great coaches now. Like I said, I worked with Ben Trapp, the late coach Carl Williams. But I got to put this plug in. One of the best coaches I ever came across was a guy named Tim Wilbur. You Are you familiar with that name? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. At Irmo High School. Let me tell you, he doesn't give the publicity I think he deserves. He's one of the best coaches I've ever played against. Now, we played against his team. We had some very athletic teams. Guys could really do some things. His guys weren't that athletic, but they were PDS, pretty darn smart. And man, if you looked the wrong way, the layup. I mean, he did a great job. So I'm giving kudos to him because 
He's one of the best coaches this state has ever seen. And he's still coaching and still doing the SOT, same old thing. Then I got a couple of state championships. Then I got a guy named, a young player came across his name was Jermaine O'Neal. And the first time I did to, met Jermaine, he said, hey, Glimp. I said, what do you call me? He said, I said, Glimp, I'm, you're gonna be, I'm, I'm gonna be the best player you ever had. I said, coach, let me tell you, young man, let me tell you something. To you, my name is Coach Glimp or Mr. Glimp. Now, if you can't call me by, by either of those names, don't ever call me again. <laughs> and it's, it stuck with him. So, and you know, he, he got me my first job at Portland, where I was the first glorified babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was changed to uh, coach of uh, player development. But that was, it was something. And I got fired there. People don't know that. How I got fired. I read about it in the, what's the name? Paper to come all over the nation. The USA Today? USA Today, yeah. I read it in the USA Today. You're kidding. While I was having heart surgery. Oh. I felt that I was fired. And then I came back to Eau Claire and worked as a assistant coach. And Jermaine wanted to be traded to Indiana. And so Isaiah Thomas wanted to see him work out. And so Jermaine said, well, I'm not going to let anybody work out but, but you. Will you do it for me? I said, yeah. So in August, in September, you can imagine, you know how hard it is in South Carolina. He came there. I had to chain the doors. And we were working, I was working with Jermaine. And halfway through the workout, he said, Coach, I'm tired. Can I get some water? I said, sure. So Isaiah came up and said, Coach, I like what I'm seeing. I said, yeah, I think he will really help you. He said, Jesus experience. He said, hell no, I'm talking about you. <laughs> he said, I like what you're teaching. He said, I have three other young players. Anthony, I mean, John Bender and Al Harrington. They need what you're teaching. Would you come work for me? I said, man, I'm sorry, but I can't. He said, what do you mean? You can't come work out for me? You, you don't want to pro job? I said, yeah, I love the job, but uh, I've already signed a contract with Eau Claire working part-time. And I said, you know, I believe a man, is, his, his word is his bond, and I can't do that. So he looked at me. He said, you mean you will refuse to come with me? And I could pay you seven or eight times, 10 times more than you're playing? Yeah. I said, it's not about the money. It's about the honor, your word. So he said, well, I'll, I'll work on that. So he called my principal. And what I did my first year at uh, Indiana, I would work three weeks with the Pacers and then come back and work a year at Eau Claire. And that's what I did my first year. So that's how I got through. And then when we got fired at uh, Indiana, he became a coach at the Knicks and he hired me there. And I stayed with him for seven years. So that's it. So I'm going to stop talking and let you ask some more questions. I know, <laughs> like I said, I can, I can talk. I know that. Uh, I'm interested in, in the NBA experience. Um, when you went to Indiana again, Bender and Harrington, I both believe they were high school, high school straight to the NBA. Am I correct on both of them? Well, no, Harrington. 
I forgot where he went for his first year, but he came out the second year. Okay. He had a freshman year, then he came out. Mm-hmm. What was, did you have, were you given a, um, a goal to, to get them to a certain level or what, when you were working with young players in the NBA, what was your goal with them or, or how did you outline what you wanted them to get out of what you guys were doing together every day? Well, I looked at what they were doing. I would watch them play and things like jump stopping, pivoting off the glass. That was non-existent. They didn't do that. Shooting, making free throws, you know, and see, I always said, I think it's a shame to sin to make a miss a free throw. So those are things I work with. And I'll tell you that the first day I was working with them, Isaiah came into the gym and I had, I had a practice schedule. So I do a little, I do a drill and look back at my schedule and go back. So he said, well, what, what are you looking for? I said, that's my schedule. He goes, schedule? Isaiah, you don't do this? He said, no, we go out and I said, man, you need to, you can miss something like that. And you need to organize. He said, could you do that for me? I said, yes. He said, well, I'm gonna let you do that for me. You just tell me what you want. And I'd organize it with the drills and everything that will go with it. And, and we'll go from there. So that for three years, when he was head coach, that was my job to organize and run practice. And that was big for me. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Coach, I, I want to go back to your your high school days, and I know it it carried into your your coaching in the professional ranks as well. But this the the presence that you have in a gym when you walk in the gym, whether kids know who you are or not, I, I'd love for you to tell our listeners about how you run a practice without a whistle. And we referenced this in our episode with Gary Rich. I was blown away by you. You never yell and scream. You never blow your whistle. You just tell them to stop and everybody stops. And if they don't, it's just, it, it, there's some consequences. So I'd love for you to tell about those consequences and just kind of how you approached coaching the game at the high school level, at, at least at the well, When school. I first started, I had a, a whistle and I told them, I said, now when my whistle blows, I want everybody to freeze. Now, if you don't, don't worry about it because then you can do five fingertip pushups. <laughs> So that's what that's where it started. And so if you would come to my practice, well, you know, with when when I was with you, all I would say, stop, hold, and everybody would freeze. Because I believe that if I'm trying to teach something and you're moving, you know, you're not paying attention. And I might want to show you a move you, you just made that was wrong, but if you move, I can't show you that. So that's what I really worked on. Stop when you heard my voice. I stopped when I had a whistle. And that was consequences. Five fingertip push-ups. They said, why fingertips? Like, because if you do fingertips, you can make your, your wrist strong. So that's what that was about. Mm-hmm. And I, there's, there's so much I love about that. And when I first started coaching, it was – I was mirroring anything that I saw on a movie or how I was coached in high school. So I was yelling and screaming and, and ranting and raving. And then at by a year, I guess, eight or nine or so to be able to work with you, I'd finally calmed down a little bit and realized that I don't have to scream to get my point across. 
but just in the days that in the day and age now, but also for me, like, I don't like being yelled at. I don't like being screamed at. And those kids, when you would say, stop, I just remember a couple of them would take one extra step. And like, they were like almost going too fast. They take one extra step and they, and they wouldn't argue. They would start doing the push-ups before you would even see them. Like, Oh, okay. Let me just do the push-ups because they just knew what the expectation was. It was no, it was no, nothing put on about it. I just thought it was just a, a healthy, calm, stern and disciplined way to coach and it just it was transformational for me to be able to see that man and another thing that i did i sat on the bench and have a space next to me and i referred that to the hot seat now when a kid came out of the game they had to sit next to me and i might be running off jumping all over them but i would never look at them i would look straight at the court because I didn't want that kid to be embarrassed that the coaches didn't know me. I never look at it. One game, I know you remember Joe Ritt. Absolutely. So I had a, a point guard named Junior Larry. And Junior threw a lob to Joe. We were up by 20 points. And I call that hot dogging. Nothing like that. So Joe missed a, a pass. And when the buzzer started, Junior knew where to come. He came right, but instead of sitting next to me, he sit on the other end. <laughs> so I was getting PDH pretty darn hot. And I said, Junior, I called him two or three times. So he didn't acknowledge me. Then I said, Junior, come here. And so he still didn't acknowledge me. And so the, the beautiful bride has entered in. How are you? <laughs> it's good. To <laughs> so Junior did not come. So when the game was over, we went in the dressing room and he came in. I said, wait a minute, where are you going? He said, I, I, I said, no, 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 no. Don't come in my dressing room. I was going in the, in the, in the hallway. I said, I take my uniform off and put it on the floor. Then I threw his his clothes in the hallway. So he got dressed in there. I said, then you can't come back with the team. You're going back with girls. We got back to Eau Claire and I wouldn't even let him in the dressing room at home. I just stayed right there and I threw his clothes out to him. And he had to get dressed. <laughs> and so he went home and his mama asked what happened. And she said, Coach put me on the team. And she said, You, he, what? And he loved to tell the story. And then his mama called me and said, Coach, he'll be there the first thing in the morning, he and I. So he came back, apologized. And, you know, I said, Well, maybe I was wrong too for doing what I did. But he apologized. And now, He's one of my best friends, okay? Now, I say, I have some people who I think of as my sons. You know, my name is Carrie Rich. He didn't come to Eau Claire, but man, he takes care of me. Uh, Jane Prick Brown, Danny Pearson, and that is the lady. Now, 
Well, I, I speak I speak those guys because they had no fathers. Okay, that's why I refer to them. Oh, poor Abram, oh yeah, he runs the camp here, Cooperology. And there are many more, but I named those guys because I remember them because they didn't have fathers. Jermaine O'Neal, you know, had no fathers. So, you know, they, they looked at me and I you know, really took care of them. Coach, that's, uh, that's amazing because I was waiting to ask this question about your role as a father figure with the kids you coach. Cause back when, when I was working with Brian and you would be there, you talked a lot about that, about the kids at your school, a lot of them, you know, from, uh, from lower income backgrounds, maybe didn't have fathers. And you talked about how every day they had to come see you and say, hello. Right. I believe every, you had a rule. Yeah. Yeah. They had to come to me because I, you know, we had homeroom. So instead of homeroom, they came to me. And what I, I noticed, you know, when I said, good morning, if they were, if they couldn't look me in the eyes, look down, then that meant something happened that night, you know? So I said, well, I can't get on this kid today. I got to really be careful with him because he's going through it already. And I think as coaches, it's important, it's imperative that you speak to them every day and just to see the reaction. And if it's something that's, negative or you think it's negative you know that he had a hard day a night before so you got to be careful with what you say to them and and that helped me a lot yeah i think that's so true i walking around uh at my practice when the kids first get there and they're shooting around or we're starting to stretch yeah i kind of i don't necessarily go up to every kid but i'll say hey john how you doing today what's going on you have a good day at school you know, just kind of pick and choose kids kind of randomly here and there and ask how they're doing right and to kind of see their reaction and see, yeah, I think you can tell by how they react to you if they're having a bad day. And it could be anything. It could be they're not feeling well. It could be, you know, right. their, girlfriend, their girlfriend broke up with them, whatever it is. But, yeah, I think that's very important. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I, I, I really did that. And, you know, it helped. Something else I did, every Friday – I had grades sheets. The kids had to bring their sheets back to me what they did that week. And the kids, I mean, the teachers really liked that because they had, they know, they had no D or Fs on that sheet. And some of them tried to get slick. So, coach, I, I don't have my sheet. I said, what happened to it? I lost it. I said, okay, that's all right. Now, what you better do before the end of the day? You better draw another one just like the one I gave you. <laughs> okay. So that stopped that. But Joe Red used to call it D Company and F Troop. And if you did that, you had to run after the game, after the after practice, you know. But it helped a lot, you know, helping the discipline around the school. The teachers really loved it because they didn't have any problems with the basketball kids because they know they couldn't get those. You know, bad grades. Mm -hmm. Coach, we had a we had a young coach on a guy that I that I coach against up here in New Jersey. Brian will know I've referenced this a couple of times. A guy by the name of Dan Egero, uh, and he has a rule for his kids that if someone comes into the gym, an adult comes into the gym, each kid has to go over and shake that adult's hand and say hello. Well, you know, I didn't go to that extreme, but I had a rule that. If you came in my gym, the first thing you had to do was take off your hat. 
no hits, no hats in my gym. And if somebody said anything to you, you had to address them respectively, you know? And my thing was, if you weren't a better team, a better person, when you left me, as you were when you got to me, I failed. I believe in that. Mm-hmm. Coach, you, well, I've got so many questions, but I'm going to go to, to, to the hats first. <laughs> yeah. So, so Gary Rich was episode 88 on the show and he referenced that about the, the hat rule. Mm-hmm. And, and he also referenced that he never played for you. And yet you were helping him out trying to get him to go to college. Um, and he never played for you at, at the high school level. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about just your role in Columbia and even in the state to just help kids, even though you may not have coached them. And, I, and I'm really asking that in a little bit of a, a stark contrast to some coaches and some of the world that are saying, well, if that kid's not playing for me, I'm not going to help him out. We're competing against that kid. But you just did it differently. You were, hey, I'm, try, I'm trying to help you out. I'm trying to get these kids uh, to, to another well, level. So I, I love to hear your I did, on that. I tried to learn the name of every kid on the other team. And what I would do I would speak to them. Hey, they call by that name. And can you imagine a guy who doesn't play at all when the opposing opposing coach said, hey, John, how you doing? Oh, he know my name? You know, it means a lot to them, just the little things. So I knew the players. I knew the best players because I played against them. And, you know, I would help them any way I could to get into college. And then I worked with the AAU teams during the summer. See, BITD back in the day, we didn't have people who weren't affiliated with the high schools coaching. So then I knew all of the players. We would have five teams from Columbia. Okay, that's 60 guys. They're the best. So I knew them all. So I would, you know, help any kid get into college. And Eric Carey is a prime examiner. Like I said, you know, he's like a son to me. Mm-hmm. Coach, I don't know if you had this, uh, <laughs> this problem in your day, but maybe you could give me some advice. Um, if you have a parent that expresses concern over a young man, or if you're coaching female basketball, young ladies playing time, how would you address that? Or how did you address that? Well, the first thing I did before the season, I had a meeting with all the players. Now I was very respectful. I'd ask them, I said, what do you do? They said, I did this, I did that, I did that. I said, well, after they finished, I said, one thing, well, let me say this. I don't know your job. I don't know what you do, how you do it. Now, you don't know mine. So you can't come in and tell me what to do, how to coach you, who should play, who shouldn't, okay? Now, remember, basketball is not required. You don't need this to graduate. But this is a, I'm giving this to them. I'm giving this to your, your son. Now, just like I gave it to him, I can take it away. <laughs> so I don't need any help from the parents. I never had any problems. Coach, can I call you when I get a parent phone call and just direct them to you? Can I just? <laughs> I'd be sure to tell them the SOT, same old thing. 
Uh, we got to have Brian knows is that you got to have meetings with the meetings about meetings about meetings that you're going to have about the meetings. <laughs> well, wow. I didn't have meetings. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, well, what I said that back in the day, H N I C, I've had Negro in charge. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, that that's a perfect segue to my next question of my list of a thousand we coach we're just gonna have to have you back for like part two three four part 40 with you eventually but um not a darn thing you know there you go there you go but what would you tell a young coach coming along that's trying to maybe make a name they're trying to get a bigger job or whatever it is what would you tell a young coach right now especially in the game of basketball where where we are all right first of all be be truthful to the kids T-T-T, tell the truth, A-T-T, all the time, okay? You got to do that. And then teach the fundamentals. Now, you know, I had a thing. When we came in the, in the gym, I would put four lines at free throw lines and at the midcourt. And the coach, they, every, the first player had to dribble to the circle, jump stop, pivot, and throw it to the next man in the other line and rotate. Now, think about what I just said. The first thing they do, they had to dribble with the left hand. The next time they had that dribble with the right hand. The third time they had to dribble between the legs, below the knees, you know, all of the, and different passes every time. Chest pass, two-hand overhead, bounce pass. So you, in about 10 minutes, you get through all those fundamentals. So what you're doing, you're getting through your fundamentals and you are Expediate, expediate your time and you know you just be truthful with them now I had two offenses my entire year at Eau Claire I ran the, the motion the passing game and you know we put a little tricks to them every now and then and I run the tee ball on offense on a zone offense you know same thing every time you know but we we, we, we did that and you made sure everybody knew what they were supposed to do, and you had to know who your shooters are. You know, now, you know, some people said, Well, coach, you getting on me by shooting. Why, why, why are you getting on me by shooting? I was open. I said, well, Why do you think you're open? <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason you're open, they want you to shoot. <laughs> Rick Duckett used to say that he would say, "Yeah, there's a reason they're open. They the other team watches film too, you know." <laughs> That's right. Why? Why do you think you're open? That's right. Yeah. Coach, you talk about the jump stop. I have one kid who doesn't jump stop, and here on film after the first game, I put you almost actually jump stopped and got an assist. He kind of two footed jump stop. He he pitter patted. He probably traveled, but at least he didn't just go off of one foot and throw the ball up in the air. And he actually got an assist. You know, when you jump stop, then both feet are then live. Become your pivot. Right. Become your pivot. Yeah. I said, now when you come down with one step, that's your pivot. Michael Jordan was excellent at that jump stopping and moving, jump stopping, stepping, jump stop. And, you know, he, you know, he, he was something else, man. I tell people this I had the privilege of coaching Michael Jordan at Appalachian State when he was in 10th grade. And man, you talking about a worker, but he wasn't that good then. But he became 
You, well, you know what he became. <laughs> Pretty good. Man, I tell you what. But he would work, 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 work at lunchtime, turn the lights out in the gym and tell the kids, go take an hour rest and then come back. He never went to the dorm. He would be in there shooting, 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 shooting. And we said, yeah, I hear the ball bouncing. Who is that? And the coaches said, you know, that's Michael Jordan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think you already alluded to, to what fundamental you think might be missing in the game today, but what's another, and, and I'm not sure if I even want to go through the three different games because I think high school, college, and professional basketball all, all sort of three different games right now, the way they're played. But what's another uh, basic or a fundamental you see lacking, especially in young kids? Obviously, we just talked about the jump stop, but is there anything else you see that young kids just don't do or maybe it's not? And part of it's the coaching's fault for not teaching it as much. Well, using the glass, that's number one. They don't use the glass at all. Not even on layups. Yeah, they don't, they don't know what that is, you know. And then everybody now is launching the three. So I mean, I told my guys, man, you can't, why are you shooting the three? Said, well, I can't shoot the three as well. Let me tell you this. I don't want shooters. I want makers. All you're doing is shooting. You're not making anything. And see, I think that you got to teach your kids how to use the glass, how to cross over, and fake shots. Bump I mean, fake shots. Yeah. You know, you got to come in and, and give them a, a fake head face. They, they, don't, they don't do that anymore. It's a lost heart. And good passes, I'm not talking about just, you know, too many one-hand passes now. They don't make the good two-hand chest pass, you know, and the bounce pass, you know. So you work all that in that drill I was talking about where you come mm -hmm. in, jump stop, and pivot, you go through all the passes. Yeah, but they need to do that. Uh, one of our assistants in South Carolina, Ernie Nestor, who was there with us the first two years under Dave Odom, uh, he always used to say the game is won and lost on one-foot shots. The team that makes yeah. the most one-footers and gives up the least amount of one-footers is the team that wins. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. And free throws, man, to me, <laughs> I just think it's it's a, a shame to miss a free throw. It's a sin. <laughs> sin. Kids don't, they don't concentrate, you know. So... Is St. Peter keeping the free throw percentage up there in heaven? Does he have a little chart with everyone's free throw percentage? <laughs> now, what I would do, I would have them to stand inside the lane. Okay. Now, so I want you to shoot right over the rim and make five in a row. Then you can move. But now the five in a row has got to be in the end. Nothing but net. If it touch anything, you can't move. And boy, they'll be struggling and struggling and struggling. But what they'll be doing, they couldn't make all net, but they're making shots. And that was the thing. I didn't care about them really making all nets. I wanted them to make shots. So, and hold your follow through. You know, I, I was a, I was a, well, I, it seemed like I'm bragging, but I could shoot the ball. I could really shoot. And I would teach my kids to shoot like me. Hold that follow through, get the spin on it, and keep the elbow in. You know, little things like that. Shoot, and and it would help. Yeah, 
I can certainly confirm that you can shoot the basketball. You get out there during those JV practices when Trent and everybody running around, you can shoot the basketball and you can bowl a bowling ball as well. Maybe we can talk about that next time too. But uh, coach, you've been a part of a lot of games, a lot of wins, state, state, state championships, national championships. Um, is, is there a one game or a couple of games that really stand out as just some of the greatest games that you really have ever been a part of? My first state championship. You know, I had coached 14 years and had been close, PDC, pretty dang close, but never won. But my first one, the year before, my entire starting team graduated. And these are the no-name kids. And man, they came in and believed in everything we taught and we won it. And I had a kid, you might remember his name, Bynum, Terry Bynum, you remember that name? He came to USC for one year and then his, his sister died tragically and it just tore him apart. But he, man, he made nine straight points when we were down one and we went up by eight. And then the last half, we man, we made 14 consecutive free throws to win the game. All by different players. But we just didn't miss free throws. Now that was one. And the second one, one we beat Archbishop Malloy. Archbishop Malloy. Oh yeah. For the beach ball when they had Kenny Anderson. He was he was very good in high school. Very good. <laughs> He was very good every way he played. <laughs> and I had a guy named Barry Manning. Okay, Barry was an excellent ball player. Yeah, well, Barry ended up the MVP of the tournament, and he won the slam dunk contest. But uh, nobody said we could win that game because we pressed man to man the whole game. And they said, well, you can't press Kenny Anderson. I said, well, that's all, that's all we know how to play. So we, <laughs> and, you know, what we would do, we would run him one way, and then we'd trap him and made him pass the ball. We made him a passer. So, you know, I noticed that anybody who loves to spin, we'd step on that side and make them spin. We wanted them to spin. Then we'd jump them. So either they'd get a charge or they had to pass it. You know, so that that was the second game, and the third game, we won the national championship. I had Stanley Roberts and Joe Rett. Hmm. I had uh, JoJo English on the wing, a guy named Anton Brown, Terry Bynum, and Greg Baltnight, and Petey Faust was my point guard. So I told Petey and I told them, I said, now if y'all wanted a shot, y'all better cue the expression haul ass and beat Stanley and Joe down because if y'all didn't, the first pass is going into either one of them. So, you know, and we won the national championship with that, that group. And uh, Joe and Stanley put on the show, you know. Yeah. So those uh -huh. was good. A friend of ours uh, who was a strength coach in South Carolina, Darby Rich, who played uh, in the 
mid to late eighties up at Greer high school, wound up going to Alabama. Yeah. He, he still this day talks about how Stanley Roberts is the most underrated basketball player because his career never really panned out when he went to college and everything, but how good Stanley Roberts was in high school and coming up. He said there was nobody better than that guy. That's right, man. He had soft hands. He had the footwork and a really good touch, a great touch. You understand what's, and man, you know, I said we won five state championships. We probably would have won two more if it wasn't for Stanley. We had no answer for him. No answer. Yeah. Yeah, his his name has come up a couple of times on this podcast, as 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 Blas just said, is very underrated and um he was a he was a game changer and um yeah, I just didn't want to jump in before Plaza <laughs> jumps in here with the the. All the, right, Coach, the this yeah, this may be a tough one for you because you got a million of them. But if I ask kids who who played for you, the kids at Eau Claire who played for you, what's the one phrase or saying they would say Coach Glimp said all the time, whether in practice or on the bus or in the locker room? Because you got a thousand of them, but what one would do you think they would say you said the most? Well, free throws win ball games. Okay. You just said you won 14 straight free throws to win a state championship. But they to hear that from me, ATT, all the time. Free throws win ball games. And the next one was, okay, get down. That means you made a mistake. So you had to give me my five penny to push ups. <laughs> get down. So they knew what that meant, you know. Mm-hmm. Coach, I, I know I've, I've heard you say it, but I'd love our listeners to hear from you. Where did the acronyms come from? When did you start doing it? And why did you start doing the acronyms? Well, I met a guy when I got the Benedict name, Ernie Mars. And he's do, do it all of the time. Like I said, ATT all the time. Said, how do you do that, Ernie? He said, man, you practice. I said, how do you practice? He's going to take phrases that, you know, capitalize them and write them down. And you could easily remember the, the capitalized letter. So I did that and then then I started, it, it, it made you concentrate, you know? So when you start that, and I do a lot of speaking. Well, I well, you know, now I get kind of tired to because I had a stroke about three or four years ago. So I, I can't articulate like I used to. And so it helped me doing that. I would use a lot of acronyms when I would speak. And the people would listen intently to see if you made a mistake. And then, you know, I, when I did that thing like, okay. And we did that in the pro. Uh, <laughs> Isaiah used to say sometimes, SOT. When we were on a play, that meant same old thing. <laughs> <laughs> he, he used that. And, Nate Robinson, you remember Nate Robinson? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Nate, Nate used to sit next to me, <laughs> and I'll be using my acronym, and Nate would say, M-M-O-P-P-P-Poo. I what do you mean, Nate? Let's get on. <laughs> he just say anything he didn't make it, so for the kids, Nate, what you got for that one? He'd come with something crazy, you know, but didn't, you know, but uh, <laughs> Uh, I remember one game, Stephon Marbury put on this tennis, TYT, take your time. And some of the kids started calling me TYT, 
Tyt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love. Coach, I'm usually thirty. It usually takes me about thirty seconds to figure out if you were right, and I know you're always right on them. But by then, you've moved on, and I'm like, I couldn't even call you out on it because I'm like, Tyt. Take you. Okay. Yeah, he's right. <laughs> it's a. It's a, it's a great technique just to help, help people listen and help me listen. Like I said, when I was a, a college student, a student manager, you'd come in for camp and I was just enamored with you and just by you listening to you speak and ATT. And I, I was telling the boss before you got here pre-show about KYP. It's on my board at Ridgeview and coaches come <laughs> in and they, they struggle about how am I doing? Just know, know, know your personnel, KYP. Like it's, you, you got to know who you're dealing with, you know? And, yeah, that's right. Yeah. KYR, know your role. Everybody plays a role. And so um, it's it's a beautiful thing. And and coach, I, we've we've taken up a, a good rough roughly an hour for this one here. And I I mean it. We we'll wait a couple of weeks, couple of months, we'll have you back and do do part two because there's there's so many questions for you. Um I am honored to be here. And I, I appreciate the questions. And I hope I can help somebody who helped me by saying some of the things I said. Some of them might be C-A-H, crazy as hell, but T-W-A-D, that's what I did. That's right. <laughs> Rose, we're going to have a C-A-T-C-E, Coach and the Captain episode. There you go. That's right. We'll get Coach Clint, we'll get Carrie Rich on, and we'll just, oh, have, we'll, just, we'll just say hello and let the two of them talk. Yeah, man, I love that. Yeah, thank you guys for even thinking about me. Well, absolutely, coach. Coach, we we think about you a lot. We reference you a lot. There, there are several coaches that uh, we reference a bunch on this show, and like I was telling you, I reference you a lot at Ridgeview. Is you, Rick Duckett? There's a lot of guys that have been uh, really good to both of us and really good to the game, and um, we just. We can't thank you enough. This has been awesome. And like I said, we'll, we'll do it again. We'll just, we'll talk. Well, thank you. Anytime. All right, coach. Well, I'll, I'll, be are. I'll be ready. Yes, sir. We'll have you back and we'll go ahead and wrap this one up for my co-host, Chris de Blasio. I'm Brian Rosefield. And thank you for listening to the 100th episode of the greatest games. Fans, wow. What, what an episode with a legend coach, George Glimp, like just unbelievable, we have listened to it a couple of times, even before we have posted it. It just keeps giving and keeps giving. What an incredible episode. But like we said before the show, wanted to come back and tell a couple of the stories that we didn't get to with Coach on the air. One of them's a little more serious and one of them's a little more fun. Uh, but the story that I want to tell is really from a, a summer camp game. It was a team camp game at University of South Carolina. I was coaching our younger guys. And it was one of those summer camp games, Chris, that I think we've all been a part of that just don't go our way for whatever reason. Our kids don't show up or the other team's just a um, just an unbelievable basketball team. Or for whatever reason, we were just getting hammered. And I remember as a young coach just, just trying to yuck it up with the coaches that were on the sideline, acting like I didn't care, and basically just gave up on my kids and, didn't, and just stopped coaching. The game ended – and immediately coach came over and stopped me and said, Brian, don't let that ever happen again where you give up on your kids. He said, Brian, they deserve your effort, your energy, your coaching, no matter what the score is on, on the scoreboard. And at that moment, I, I was really 
it, it, it probably moved me to tears knowing myself now. Uh, it was just the most honest that anybody has ever been with me as a coach. And he was right. Absolutely right. That our kids, no matter what the score is, deserve our coaching. That's what they're here to, to get. And it was absolutely blew me away. So I wanted to share that one. Um, it just was one of the most transformational stories and, and moments for me as a coach and as a man. And I'm sure coach didn't do it in a, uh, in a condescending way to you. I'm sure he did it in an educational way, not finger pointing or anything like that. That's right. Like, just like we heard on the episode just now, he didn't yell and scream, didn't berate me. It was just firm, stern, disciplined, and loving and caring. And he, and he, if he didn't care about me and if he didn't care about those kids, he wouldn't have said anything, but that's just, that's the kind of man that he is. And coach, it's just, it was, it was just one, one of those transformational moments for me that has helped me now bring that to my coaches at Ridgeview. That's one of my expectations that I'm very clear about with our coaches. Like, I don't care what the score is. You keep coaching your kids. I do not care. Just keep coaching your kids. Well, as listeners know, Brian's a serious guy. I'm the silly guy here. So I'm going to tell a little, a more fun story about Coach Cliff that he, he regaled us with once when he got hired by the Portland Trailblazers. When Jermaine O'Neal got drafted there, he talked about that. And uh, they were getting ready to go on their first road trip. And whoever was in charge of their travel handed him an envelope. And he just took the, he said he took the envelope and he just put it in his uh, locker. Didn't, didn't worry about what it was and went on the road trip. And uh, they were going to go get some dinner, a couple guys. And someone said, coach, do you have your per diem money? And he was like, what are you talking about? And they were like, the envelope, but, you know, they gave you your per diem money. It's like for like NBA coaches, it's like $98 a day between breakfast, lunch, and dinner you get for per diem on the road on top of having a nice salary. And he's like, I had no idea. He goes, that's in my locker back in Portland. <laughs> he had no idea that they were going to give him money to eat on the road with, even though they feed you half the time anyway, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so funny. That's so, that's so coach Glimp, right? Just like, what, what is this envelope envelope? Just, okay. And I remember those days too, Chris, just even as a manager of South Carolina, we didn't get $98 for, for meals, but remember this was the greatest experience of my life. I'm flying around and then people are giving me money to go eat. Like what in the world? What is, <laughs> <this is> amazing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but coach Glimp was just a great guest and, and a great man. And uh, I would hope everyone really enjoyed this episode because it was a pleasure having him on. Like we said in the episode, we might want to try to do an episode with him and Carrie rich and, just talk about basketball and more basketball. Yeah, it really was. This was this was the episode we we this we've looked forward to 100, and just to be able to have coach was just a real honor, a real privilege. And we would invite all of our listeners to just share this episode with a friend uh, that may not have listened to the podcast yet. This is a great way, I think, to get started with the Greatest Games podcast. Just wonderful content and uh, content that's going to help everybody, but. Again, we appreciate you tuning in. See you soon.